There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Those are verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 4, which along with Psalm 7 are the psalms appointed for today, Independence Day, Monday, July the 4th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the book of Numbers. Today we're in chapter 32, the first six verses, and then skip forward to verses 16 to 27. Also in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 23, verses 1 to 12, and in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. So in the Numbers passage, what we're getting is they're, they're close to the land. And so the, the people of, of uh, a couple of tribes, Reuben and Gad, so those are two of the sons of Jacob, those tribes, those families, <clears throat> now come to Moses and, and they, they have a proposition for Moses. Now when the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. It was a good grazing land, land, a good place for them, because they had this livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eliezer the priest, and Eliezer would have been the son of Aaron, Moses' nephew, essentially, and to the chiefs of the congregation, Ataroth, Debon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliale, Sebum, Nebo, and beyond. The land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, If we found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. In other words, they're, they're not, they don't even want to go into the land. They, they, they'd like to settle here on the other side of the Jordan. <clears throat> But Moses said to the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Then they came near to him and said, We'll build sheep foals for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance, for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. So what the proposal is, Moses has said, you know, it's not okay for you to leave your brothers to, to, for the conquest of the land when all of us were intended to be involved in that conquest. We need you to do this. It's not right for me to release you from the obligation here. And they said, no, no, don't worry about it. We're going to leave our livestock here. It wouldn't help in the conquest of the land to have livestock uh, driving with you. Um, and but we're also going to build some fortified cities because the we need these, our, our little ones, our wives and our little ones need protection from the people of the land. And so that's the proposal is to say, we'll go with you, but give us a minute. We got to build a fortified city and build places to keep the livestock. And Moses said to them, if you'll do this, if you'll take up arms to go before the Lord for the war, and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. So he says, good enough. 
if you do this, then 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 it's fine. It's all right. This is a this is something that that the proposal is acceptable to me if you do these things. But if you do not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and foals for your sheep, and do what you have promised. So in other words, Moses is saying, you, you do what you said you're going to do. That, that's an acceptable proposal. However, if you fail to do it, you haven't sinned against me. You have sinned before the Lord. And so that's a big deal. You're, you're gonna, your sins will find you out. You will not prosper. You will not flourish. And, you'll, and the Lord will deal with you for that sin. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben said to Moses, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man who is armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord orders. Now, all of that seems, you know, just sort of cut and dried. But the other side of it is, is that they'd already been given a certain kind of a, uh, a commandment from God concerning who goes to war. And I've mentioned this before. The people who go to war, um, there there are classes of exemptions for people who go to war. And those classes include those who have just gotten married or are engaged to be married. In other words, they're essentially betrothed to to another. So it, it includes those people. It also includes those who have built houses or planted vineyards or is afraid. So these guys are going to build cities, they're going to build places so that they could qualify for a special exemption from going to war. However, what, that, what they're doing could be um, construed as um, something in order to avoid going to war. And Moses says, that's not right. That is not the right thing to do. You're abandoning your brothers at this point. And so they, they say, no, 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 we're going to do this, but we're going to leave. And so it's, it, it, it's an exemption to the exemption, essentially, is what's happening here. So in the Matthew passage, um, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, remember here, he's in Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life, and so he's in Jerusalem. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, th- there's a lot of debate as to what constitutes Moses' seat. People will say, oh, there was a special place in the synagogue where, where, where people sat to read the law, except, well— in the Gospels, we're told in Luke 4, for instance, that Jesus stood to read and sat to teach. So there is, there's no such thing, there's no proof for any such thing, let's say that, as Moses' seat in the synagogue where somebody sat to read the law. So it, it's most likely that the seat of Moses is where Moses sat to judge the people. So when he applied the law... That's the way it worked. And so he says, Jesus goes on to say, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. So Jesus is saying that, that, that what they do is not in, in concert with what they say. So be doers of the word, but not hearers only. So what, But what Jesus tells them is, do and observe whatever they tell you. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. I mean, they're not willing to make even the slightest effort to help with these things. So he, he's giving them credit for knowing the law. He's giving them credit for that, that, that they know these things, but they don't do the things that they preach. 
they do all their deeds for one reason, to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They're drawing attention to themselves in everything that they do. They're not just practicing the religion. They're practicing it so that other people might applaud them for their practice. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. In other words, they're celebrities within the nation, and they enjoy that celebrity status uh, more than anything else. So they're committed to, to doing the works of the law. They're committed to doing the things and teaching the things and getting the acclaim for the things, but, but they don't do, he says, they don't practice what they preach. So all the things they do, they do in order to attract attention and applause from the people. So they, they like that. Does, do we see that in modern Christianity? Absolutely we do. We see lots of people who adore the adulation they get for having big churches, for having this, that, and the other thing. It's, it, celebrity preachers <laughs> didn't go out of fashion at the time of Jesus. He says to the rest of these people that, they, that, that those, those people like being called rabbi by others, but you're not to be called rabbi, which just means teacher, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Now, what in the world does Jesus mean by that? Well, in Isaiah 54, he says they will all be taught by God. In other words, you'll, you'll have the Holy Spirit and God will be able to teach you directly. You don't need an intermediary to teach. Now, is that the case? I mean, obviously, some of us um, devote ourselves to teaching. That doesn't mean that, that, that you don't have something to gain from listening. Because it, it, but what happens is it's the interaction of what teachers say or preachers preach, and the Holy Spirit within you brings you to a complete understanding of things, so long as that teacher is not teaching nonsense. But, but the, the intended um, interaction between the Spirit in you and the teaching you're receiving is intended to, to raise you to a higher place. We should all be teachers in the sense that we all have something to offer. Uh, Chuck Murphy, uh, who was our, uh, the founding bishop in, in the AMI, had a, had a saying that he used really frequently, and that is God speaks to his people through his people. I have something to learn from you. So we are being taught by God, and then we're sharing what we're being taught with one another. And that's, that's the intended way of being for God's people. He says, call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Now, I, I just don't understand why the Roman Catholic Church and also some parts of the Anglican world called their uh, pastors, priests, whatever you want to call them, father. It just doesn't make any sense to me that they, that they do that. And I would never allow anybody to call me Father John or Father Green or whatever. No, I'm not your father. He's your father. So don't then, then look to me to be that person. I have specific role in the church, but I, but I don't, however. I'm not replacing God. I'm not stepping into his shoes. I'm not capable of doing that. I have clay feet as well. He says, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so the, the point of all this is to say that in the kingdom of God, in the church, it, there's a flat hierarchy. 
at, at a functional level, there's a hierarchy because things have to be done, right? So things have to be done in the church. Things have to be done in order, and in order to do those things, then you have to have offices in the church. But that's not a hierarchy. Those are responsibilities, and they're gift-based responsibilities. Paul will enumerate the gifts in Ephesians and other places, and, and Corinthians as well, 1 Corinthians. But, but those, are, those offices in the church, those places of, of uh, positions in the church, are not intended as a hierarchical thing. There are some people who make their living from the gospel, but that's because the, the church has chosen to raise them up into those, those roles. And it's important that we see those things that way, whether we are the, quote, leader of the church or whether we're part of the congregation. But it, in every respect, there is no spiritual gift of congregating. We are all intended within the church to use our gifts and talents that have come from him for the building up of the body of Christ. And so some people have roles as teachers. They have roles as priests. They have roles as pastors. They have roles as worship leaders, all of those things. But, but it's not a hierarchy. We've said we think these people are particularly gifted to lead the congregation, to lead everybody in these ways. And so we've, we've made these decisions, but it's not a hierarchy where one is greater than or better than another. No, it's flat as far as that's concerned because we're all sinners and we're all in need of grace. In the Romans passage, Paul is continuing to, to discuss the, the, the role of the Spirit in our lives. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And it's interesting that, that the only time I've mentioned this before that um, that I that I pray in tongues sometimes. Well, the the odd thing is there's only one circumstance where that ever happens for me, and it's when I'm interceding for someone else. And and I believe that that's exactly what this intends to be. Because if if I pray from my own spirit, then what I'm going to pray for is that you'll be healed. That's what I want. I, I want to, God to, to wipe away all pain and sorrow and suffering. But that might not be what's best for you in the moment. I don't know. Uh, all I can do is pray what I want. And so sometimes, not often, but sometimes I, it, something will happen. And I'll begin to pray in a way that, I, that, I, that I'm not in control of. It doesn't mean I'm out of control. I can stop it at any given time. But but the reality is is that we are going to pray for one another. We're going to intercede for one another in a way that that we believe would be best. But the honest truth is we don't know what's best. So the inner spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the spirit. So is who is it that hurts? searches hearts well that would be God himself and he knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God so we, one of the things that we have to do because we're we're coming into this verse that a lot of people take for their life verse which is and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And, and it's fine to take that for a life verse, but what you have to come to grips with is what the word good means. And, and what we're just told, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And good is whatever comports with the will of God. So the will of God being done in my life sometimes is going to be painful for me because it's not the will of John. So we have got to come to grips with the word good. And the, and the only way we can do that, in my mind, is, is that, that if we love him, then, then all things work together for good, whatever good may be, because he is good. And so things that come into my life that are painful to me, I don't count those things as good. Typically in the moment, I don't. I may see it later. But I don't typically count those things as good in the moment. And so here, what, what Paul's saying is the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God, and all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So as long as we're pursuing the will of God in our lives and the purpose of God for our lives, then all things work together for good. And so good simply means his glorification in and through our lives. But we can accept all things as good, even though they're painful. It's okay to feel the pain. It's okay to feel grief. It's okay to feel all those things we're supposed to because we love. But the other side of it is is, is that, that whatever God brings into our lives is intended for good to make us more like him in every way. <clears throat> for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We would bear a familial likeness. And so we would be his brothers in the sense that we conform to the image of the Son. And those whom he predestined, those who who he knew in advance, would come to him and become one of his children, he also called. In other words, there's a purpose for your life. And those whom he called, he also justified. In other words, the, the blood of Christ covers your sins. It's efficacious, and the justification is, is saying he is one of my children because of the blood of Christ. She is one of my children because of the blood of Christ. You have been justified. In other words, you will not be accounted guilty for those sins because you trust in the blood of Christ. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, so it's the process of that. So good things that work together for good, means you will be conformed through those things to the image of Christ. And in that, you will be glorified. It's an amazing thing to think that that that's possible. But how was Jesus glorified? In the most painful way imaginable. And so throughout his life, he had to deal with sorrow. He had to deal with things that, that didn't make any sense, like the um, execution of John the Baptist, his cousin, the one who was his forerunner, the one who foretold his um, ministry, and the one who pointed first to him as the Lamb of God. So sometimes those painful things are the things that are necessary to shape us into his image, but in all things, we must trust in the will of God, the love of God, the greatness of God, and the goodness of God.